0: Hello, hello. Hi, Sabina. Hello, everybody. How you doing? Doing great here. Me too. Guess what? We are going to have some fun today with our two guests that I'm excited to introduce you to Andrew Hoffman and Andy Tima, hence the title of our episode today, the Andrew episode. Not the most creative title, but I think it's catchy, right, Sabina? <laughs> That's right. That's right. Yeah. So these two gentlemen are going to be in our coaches spotlight today. So let's dive in with some introductions. I'm going to start with Andy Tima. Andy started with Northwestern Mutual with the Earths Network office in February of 2016 as the CLR and training coordinator. In 2019, he moved into the role of director of development and training, and he started activity coaching in 2022. He loves coaching new FRs in development and helping them achieve their goals and realize their potential in activity coaching. He resides in Fairview Park, Ohio, just outside of Cleveland. He graduated from Cleveland State University in 2012 with a degree in integrated social studies and a minor in education. And from what I recall, I think you have a lot of family members, right, that are (laughs) very well educated, right?
1: Yes, correct. Uh, Actually, they're all science educated, and somehow that gene completely missed.
0: Me. Well, we're glad it uh, did. (laughs) We're glad it did. In his free time, Andy enjoys reading about history, watching Jeopardy, golfing, and spending time with his family and friends. He's also a huge Cleveland sports fan and an IndyCar fan. Uh, Although his first name is Andy, most people call him Tima. Thanks for being here, Tima. Thanks for having me,
1: Heather and Sabina. Happy to be here. Excited.
0: We're excited to have you. So next, Andrew Hoffman has been with Northwestern Mutual in Nebraska with Jennifer Brazzi's office since early 2022, where he is the talent and culture manager. I love that title. Uh, He's married to Audrey, and they have two sons, Mac, who is six, and Henry, who is one, and two dogs, Blue and Scotty. Prior to NM, Andrew worked as a football coach both in college and high school. He grew up as a coach's kid and has intensely aimed to make the world a better place. I love that. It took him over a decade to realize that he could impact people outside of coaching young men to play football. He moved every five years growing up and learned how to make friends with people of all kinds of experiences. He also studied journalism at University of Nebraska-Kearney, which taught him how to take his natural ability to talk to people and find out what makes them tick or their story. He didn't realize this was a skill that he developed until about a year ago, and I'm guessing you are probably applying that to your coaching on a daily basis. So welcome, Andrew Hoffman.
2: Yeah, happy to be here. Thanks for the invite.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. All right, so I met and have enjoyed getting to know both of you through my national activity coaching study groups this past year and really have enjoyed seeing your dedication to the craft of coaching and really impacting new advisors. It's very clear that you both have a strong passion for what you do, so I really want to dive in there and start with that passion. Obviously, it's something Sabine and I are clearly passionate about, and we have our favorite this Things about coaching, but we want to hear from you in our coaches spot. Like, what is your favorite part of activity coaching? Tima, let's start with you.
1: Yeah. So, I absolutely love just being there and being able to celebrate their wins and to see their success. And, you know, I'm a total nerd right up front. So, I love when they are starting to see and be reminded of the ratios and all the Granum numbers. And they're starting to see that, hey, I'm finally understanding this business. I'm finally gaining some, some momentum. And I love just being a part of that. And that's probably one of my favorite things of being an activity coach, just to be along with them, along with them on the ride and helping them and seeing that success.
0: I love that. And ironically, in our clinic, Sabina and I always talk about the two objectives of activity coaching and everybody gets one of them, which is right. Kind of the accountability piece of it, keeping people on the proven path for success. But the one part that people often skip over is celebrating daily wins. And I love that that's your favorite part is celebrating their wins. I oftentimes think. As coaches we always have to be giving people critical feedback and what they need to be doing better and celebrating is just as important if not equally more important.
1: 100%. And you know, it's it's also for me like helping celebrate their wins cuz they hear no so much throughout <laughs> the day and then first thing first on two, first thing in the morning Tuesdays and Thursdays they're coming and they're expecting me to like be like what did you do wrong and instead of pointing out like hey this is what you did right. This is what you're doing well. Keep it up. Again, it's just a really great thing for me to do and be a part of.
0: That is awesome. Hoffman, how about you?
2: Yeah, I'm similar to Tima where I I'm, I i am don't know if, if it's the right thing to say, but I love when I'm coaching somebody for an extended period of time and then I can just see their wheels turning and they can just hear the my voice in their head. Or if I hear somebody that I've coached before say something that I've told them and it's like clicking for them and going. And then seeing like small baby step wins. So right before this, I was sitting in and listening to somebody go through some dials. And in the matter of five conversations, you could just see the difference in confidence and the difference in comfortability and being able to have a conversation with somebody. And I just that fills my cup up every day. Just listening to people get just a little bit better and getting a little bit more comfortable in their own skin and and being confident and yeah, not not being apologetic for who they are.
0: Awesome. Sabina, how about you? What are some of your favorites or what are what's running through your mind as you're listening to these guys? I think it's interesting because I I would
3: concur with both in that just seeing people get it. You know, seeing people start to, yeah, I, I think of it like a roller coaster. They're chug, chug, chugging up the hill and seeing them crest that top and really have the momentum that goes with it. And then because I've been around since dinosaurs roamed the earth, I, I also <laughs> like seeing long term success. You know, like I love three, four, five, eight, 10, 20 years down the road when they still are quoting you back to yourself. They're like, remember when you told me this? Remember when you told me that? And most of the time I. Don't really remember, but it <laughs> sounds like something I would have said. So. <laughs> but it's, you know, it just always reminds me that people take what you say in and they, they do internalize a lot of it. They just don't necessarily give you that feedback. But later on, they're going to come back and quote you back to yourself. So but just seeing people get it is is a joy.
2: It's such a compliment, too, when they do that. Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah. Yeah, it's I'm a very still, delayed uh, gratification job.
0: I was that's exactly <laughs> yeah. the words that were on my mind was delayed gratification. Yeah. I remember when so I started as a recruiter and that's when I was doing activity coaching and I had left the agency and left that role I was working at the home office and I got a call two or three later from two or three years later from somebody I had coached saying thank you I'm like wow that was a very delayed thank you but I'll take it because it does feel good to know you've made an impact
3: mm-hmm. yeah and sometimes even when somebody leaves the business and you just run into them in your community they will still sometimes do that even though the career didn't necessarily work out for them they were still remembered something you told them just Interesting.
1: And to build off of that, it's always nice to like when I've had reps that have come, they've succeeded, they've gone through activity coaching, and then these new reps are coming in and they're like, when you're meeting with Tima, like, make sure you take him seriously. Make sure that you show up and and have everything because he's here to help and he's here to help you succeed. So that's always great to see as well. When these successful reps that I have coached six months, a year, two years after that are still telling these new reps, Hey, listen, Tima knows what he's doing. He knows the numbers. He's here to help.
0: That's such a good message for our new coaches to hear because sometimes when you're really new, they don't have that reputation. And so people don't really know what to expect. So hang in there. If you're new, it will come. <laughs> it just takes time mm-hmm. to to build. So we obviously talked a little bit about our favorite part. and. Sadly and realistically, right, Sabina. That's right.
3: (laughs) Now we get to talk about our least favorite part. So what's the what's the hardest part or your least favorite part of activity coaching? And Hoffman, we'll start with you this time.
2: Yeah, I cannot stand it when I care about their business more than I do or Mm -hmm. more than they do. If I have to I try to spend as much time as I can early in activity coaching to make sure they understand the expectation of activity coaching, but knowing that I'm a resource for them. For their business, and I'm not babysitting them, and I'm not there for you know feel good half hour so they have something you know different to do than dialing. I'm there to help their business go in a direction that they want it to do. And uh, when I'm either having conversations or somebody's avoiding conversations, and I can just feel that it's because they don't want the success as bad as I want success for them. It just it just drives me insane.
3: Tima, what do you have to say?
1: I'm gonna echo Hoffman there. Uh, same thing when they are, when they're showing up and they just there's excuse after excuse as to why they didn't post and plan or or they honestly try to get the meeting off the rails. Similar to what Hoffman was talking about, like where they're yeah. just avoiding the topic. They're like, well, hey, listen, I got this going on. There, there's kind of some excuses that you're like, okay, I understand life happens, but this has been a, a habit, and when they just You can see it, too. When they just stop Mm -hmm. caring, that's just one of the least favorite things of this coaching because all of a sudden now I'm the one who cares the most. And I'm a pretty hard worker, too. And so when they're Mm -hmm. showing up and they're not, they're kind of, I don't want to say lazy, right? But they're just maybe slacking off a little bit. That's just one of my least favorite parts.
3: Yeah. I And it's interesting to both say about caring more, because I had heard a long time ago, in fact, I think it was Lyle who said it, you can believe in them more than they believe in themselves initially, because that'll build over time. But you really can't care more than they care, because it's mm-hmm. it's their career. So... And I would say I would echo that as well. And and I think when I have to deliver tough love or bad news, you know, <laughs> the bad news conversation is probably one of my least favorite parts of activity coaching. Heather, how about you?
0: Yeah, mine I have to agree with Tima and probably every coach out there. The excuses drive me mm-hmm. nuts, but it you know, it, it I hate to say it, everybody does it. It's just part of the job. I don't know many reps that I've coached that haven't had excuses. And for me, it's really about helping them take personal ownership. I love, you know, asking them at what point did you choose that you didn't want to dial or what point did you choose that the commitment you selected wasn't important to you anymore? I use that word choose often. It seems to be a good way to get them redirected away from their excuses. But like I said, I think it's kind of a natural part and it comes with the territory. Absolutely.
2: That is one of my favorite questions I've learned from you, Heather, is that at what point did you decide you weren't going to do this today. Mm
0: -hmm.
2: Because there is a a moment in everybody's day where they sit there and say, nope, not doing it anymore. I'm done. I give up. And I always believe if you get to that point and you can live with the consequences of it, great. But you should at least know the consequences of what you're doing. And if you don't acknowledge those, then you're fooling yourself.
3: And it's funny because I always can live with someone who acknowledges that they made the choice better than someone who just was like oh i i didn't even realize i hadn't done it till today you know so yeah. i would not that you want that a lot, but I would much rather someone own up and say, you know what, at four o'clock, I didn't get my dials done. I had this, this, and this, and I just chose. I just knew it wasn't going to happen. Yeah, like it was a choice, not a, not mm-hmm. something external that just happened to you.
0: I think somebody used the word consequences. I think it was Hoffman. I think helping them understand too that the consequences aren't just in the business; it's in our mindset. Like, what are the consequences of this in our mindset of the business? I had a rep today who missed his dial commitment. The commitment was twenty-five dials a day. He did two one day and 19 the other day. And he was saying how miserable it was. And I said, well, how did you feel after the day that you did the 19? And he told me, I said, how did you feel the day after you did two? Which day felt better? And he's like, well, 19. I said, well, isn't that funny, right? That the day that you actually did it, you felt better. (laughs) So we think it feels better to not follow through in the moment, right? That whole experience the pain of discipline now to avoid the pain of regret later. But yeah. The consequences can be, can be huge. So if anybody that's listening has been to one of our clinics or participated in one of my national study groups, you know that I love the power of a great question. So that's a good segue, actually, into our next question for you all. What is your favorite coaching question to ask? Tima, you want to go first?
1: Yeah, uh, so a couple Uh, there's, there's one, I usually, first thing I do is I pull up their blue book. I go to page four or page five, depending on whatever their activity is. And I put it up on my screen, nice and big and zoomed in. And I just simply go, Hey, what do you see? And I just, I just pause and and let them take a look. And this is where you're going to have to be. I'll talk a little bit more about this too, a little bit later. This is where you're going to have to be comfortable in that uncomfortable silence because whoever speaks first is going to lose. So they're going to wait and they're going to wait. And, uh, and so I just, I pulled up and I say, Hey, what do you see? And I just, and they, and eventually that's again, that comes back to my favorite part of coaching is they start to see, you start to see those wheels turning. Another one I, lo- I love to ask is, how's business going? What can we do today to call it a win? What can you do today to call it a win? And then this is one that I recently stole from Heather as well, which is what is a meaningful and measurable goal? And that's one I've been using for the last three months. And to see them think about that for a minute, and sometimes they'll ask, well, what do you mean meaningful and measurable? I was like, you tell me. It's your meaningful and measurable goal. So those are just a couple of the questions that I love to ask in the 10-minute sessions that I have with all my reps.
0: I like it. I love, let. I mean, silence is such an amazing mm-hmm. tool. I mean, probably even stronger than a good question, right? I mean, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Hoffman, how about you? What's your favorite coaching question or questions?
2: Uh, yeah, I'd like to ask why what they're doing is important to them. Like why why did they choose to do this however many years or months or days or weeks or decades ago? Just to try to get them back to like the mindset of what they were thinking about when they first started. Another one I got from Jennifer, our MP, was why would somebody buy from you? And it just it it's like Tima said, it just gets the wheels start to turn of like. You're right. And it kind of resets them in their brain to start thinking about what it is they're doing, why they're doing it. And it's not just dials for a task and it's not just a meeting for a task. And it's not just trying to check things off their list, which is important to do still, but it's, it's to get them to understand the big picture of what they're doing and hopefully get them to continue working towards what their end goal is or what their, what their overall perspective wants to be. So
0: love it. All very good questions. Sabina, do you have a favorite? I do. I like to ask
3: people what they really want versus what they think we want them to want or what they think they should want. You know, they'll say, if you ask somebody in their first six months, what's your first six months goal, Oh, I want to be a pace setter, you know, and I'll say, okay, what's important about that to you? And then they'll be like, well, you guys told me I should do it. <laughs> you know, and So well, what do you really want? I said, in your secret little heart of hearts, you know, where you maybe haven't told because you don't think we're going to approve, what is it that you really want? Because sometimes people have different motivations, like they want to prove, they want to prove to somebody who thinks they can't do this, that they can, they want to beat their prior salary or, or income from wherever they were. And and I think it's really important not to discount whatever it is that's motivating them, even though it might not be what we consider like a high level noble motivation or whatever. Sometimes trying to prove someone wrong can be a tremendous motivation. It can get you through your first year, you know? So yeah. What about you?
0: So one that I've been, I don't know that I have a favorite. I kind of go through waves, but one that I'm on right now is what's stopping you. Because, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I don't know, I just, I like that question. Another one of my favorites that usually gets people to go, ooh, is on a scale of one to 10, how honest have you been about this with yourself? Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, that's then a good the follow-up is with others, especially when they're excuses. And it's funny because when we started talking about this, I had this, about this question, I had this little light bulb moment because I have my portfolio in front of me where I keep my regular notes and it never leaves my portfolio and my portfolio never really leaves me. I know our listeners can't see this, but you all can. But this is my famous list of 100 coaching questions. I don't know if you can see how much it's been spilt on, written on, highlighted. <laughs> highlighted, <yeah. laughs> But it is, I love it. It's my go-to when I'm kind of stuck or I need a new question or I need to, you know, breathe some life into what I'm doing. I absolutely love it. So, you know, definitely it's super easy to do a little bit of research online, you know, good coaching questions, boom, and you'll come up with all sorts of great stuff. So...
1: Yeah, And one thing I'll add, there's not necessarily a question, but one thing I do add is when we are talking about something, sometimes I'll just say, hey, tell me more about that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Whether that's, you know, they they commit to a goal, like, tell me more about that. Just why 40? Why set five? Why is that important to you? And just, again, let them coming back to that light bulb and seeing those wheels turn. So even though tell me more Mm -hmm. about that isn't necessarily a question. I feel like that's a question that's not a question. That
0: has the same impact.
1: Any sense. Yes.
3: Absolutely, absolutely. Because I I do think part of our job as coaches is to teach people how to think about things a little differently, right? Like we're teaching them to think. We're not just teaching them to do things by rote. We're teaching them how to solve their own problems, how to think about things. And I think those open-ended questions do that because it makes them solve their own problem, right? Which means they have more ownership and so on and so on. So I I think those all those open-ended questions are. And I love the response. I love when you ask a good question is huh, I hadn't thought hmm. of it that way. <laughs> you know. <laughs> so, okay. I, I, so, I, Oh, go ahead. Sorry, Hoffman.
2: Yeah, sorry to interrupt. I always try to find, I believe that like everybody's, this is a silly thing to say because it's common sense kind of, but like everybody's perception is reality. And so if I'm having a conversation with somebody and especially if it's somebody I'm struggling with questions like that, that get me into their mindset, at least shows me like what the reality that they're seeing is. So even stuff like what's actually important to you or Tell me more about that. Just gets you in the right mindset of like understanding where they're coming from and not being judgmental about where they're coming from, but just trying to meet them there and see if you can help them.
3: So on the other hand, I I get the dark questions. (laughs) (laughs) When someone is struggling, which is a lot, right? Like at even the people who are good performers at some point, just emotionally, they're going to be struggling. So what are some of your favorite strategies or your favorite strategy to go to when someone is clearly struggling? Hoffman, how about we start with you?
2: Yeah, I touched on this earlier, but I, I try to remind them that I'm there. Like they should be viewing me as a, as a form of an employee that they've assigned the task of keeping them accountable and come into the meeting with that type of perspective mm-hmm. rather than coming in and saying like, hey, you're my accountability coach. You're going to ask me about my numbers and I have my numbers ready to go, blah, 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 blah. They have a hard time coming in with energy. But when I ask them to come in with expectations of me, like if I'm not doing the thing well enough for them, they should be irritated with me. Uh, it shifts that brain around from because especially because so many people jump into this career expecting to be employees and not being an employer. And I I just challenge a lot of the very new reps to start thinking of our activity coaching meetings and our even our mentor meetings on time on occasion and our OCI meetings to sit there and go in and ask the person how can I accomplish the thing I've asked you or I've tasked you to get done for me and. When it clicks, it's a lot of fun. When they start coming in in a thirty-minute meeting, starts turning into a twenty-minute meeting, because they are t- driving my mm-hmm. time, and I can sit there and just kind of sit back and say, like, okay, here's the things, and I give my advice, and then we move on. So
3: great, Tima. Yeah, to kind of build
1: off of Hoffman, that that idea of interdependence. You, you know, we're, we're, you're not in business for yourself. You're here to help. We're here to help you. Another thing is. Focus on what they're doing well and seeing if we can get some small momentum going. I had a rep who recently you know, he had one of the best first months I've ever seen in terms of activity, but it didn't show on the production side. But I kept mm-hmm. reminding him, you're doing what you're supposed to be doing. You're, you are focusing on your controllables. Continue to do that. Continue to build, build, build that momentum. It's going to come. It's go- you're going to see it. You just got to continue to do it. So <clears throat> that's one thing. If they're doing something like really well, it's just they're, maybe they're struggling somewhere else. I try to focus on that. Every once in a while, what I'll do is I'll put all their numbers into an old like Excel spreadsheet that my former CEO uh, used to y- use. And will point out, like I'll do the calculations, like how much money it, are mm-hmm. their dials worth? I think it's actually something, a grand. Spreadsheet you put together, Sabina. If I'm not probably, probably,
3: <laughs> and yeah,
1: I'll no doubt I'll throw those numbers in there and I'll say, hey, look, every time you're dialing, it's worth this much. Every time you're asking, it's worth this much. How can we continue to increase your controllables, incre- increase your dials, increase your asking, and continue on with that momentum? But the one big thing I do is just try to find something they're doing well and, and see if we can get even that ball rolling a little. Sure.
3: Absolutely. And I think that's so important because when people are struggling or maybe they haven't, you know, gotten a sale or they haven't, nobody said yes for a few days, they tend to think that everything's falling apart and they're not doing anything right. And and they're always, what I found, just getting used to the numbers early on, people are always doing something right, right? Like there's, and I love that, catch people doing something right. I think that is, it, it just turns their mindset around because, you know, Granum once said, and I don't know if he originated this or not, but I think it's true just in life. He said every encounter that you have with someone either lifts them up a little bit or beats them down a little bit. Like very seldom do you just have a neutral encounter with people, right? <laughs> and so I always want to lift people up, even if it's just a little bit, you know, just a little bit. Cause it because they leave your meeting and then they have to go out and do the rest of their day, right? So I always want them to leave thinking. Oh, maybe I'm not so bad, you know. Or I can actually do some things. Heather, what about you?
0: Well, everything that has been said, I would second. Uh, I'm trying to think of something, mm-hmm. you know, creative. How would we potentially take this in a different direction? And where my mind went is, you know, what is the definition of struggling? There's there's varying levels of struggling, right? Like, mm-hmm. are they just having a bad day, or is this truly maybe not the right business for them? So. I guess just to look at it from a different perspective, I think just being really honest and using some radical candor and letting them know as directly as possible that I'm concerned. And it might even be to start having a discussion around career fit. Like sometimes that is where you have to go when somebody is really struggling and not being afraid to at least begin that discussion or to ask questions that are tied to that to really see like, okay, how far on this continuum of struggling are they? Is this just a bad day and a bad week? Or are we thinking we're pulling the plug here? So I think just getting real with them and asking a lot of questions, being radically candid, um, and then also giving them some tough love. Sometimes when they're struggling, they need finding out if they do need a kick in the pants, right? Like sometimes they do need a lot of support, like you all said, and sometimes they just need a good kick in the pants. I think it depends. It's mm-hmm. it's a tough yeah. question to answer because it depends on so many factors and specifically how they're motivated. But I, I do think it's important to spend a little bit of time on like what are all the different strategies and what are the questions I need to be asking myself so I pick the right strategy. And I also think I have, I call it the etch-a-sketch strategy where if somebody is just
3: like kind of had a bad couple of weeks and, or, or, you know, they're, they're kind of like struggling in some form or fashion. I said, all right, let's just shake it up. Let's just erase everything that's happened up to this point and start over. Cause th- that's the beauty of the business, right? Like you can begin again every day. And I find sometimes you can see the burden lifted from people when you say that, because now they're not trying to play catch up, right? It's like, well, I, I should have 250 facts at the end of this, of this month, but I only have 137 you know, okay, let's, let's not focus on the big number. Let's forget about that. Let's see if you can do 20 in a month. You know, let's just focus on this time frame Cause I have this sort of three times in a row strategy that if you do it once, you kind of want to write it off as, oh, oh, I don't know. I just got lucky. You do it twice. You can't really do that. By the time you do it a third time, this is what you do now, you know? And so, but, you know, just kind of, Starting over because we always have to play the long game, right? Like it's not just about the next couple of months; it's about building those habits. And and if even if you're in your fifth month, but you've never done twenty facts, and you can do it for the next three months, you're going to be way better going forward. So
0: such good, yeah. good insight. Mm-hmm. All right, I am looking at time. We could spend hours. Mm-hmm. This is fun. This right. I'm gonna. This is fun. Yeah, this is fun. One last question for you and. Andrew Hoffman, I feel like this question came out of a result of some of the things that you and I were talking about. And it's just a fun question and something I think important for coaches to dig into. How have your life experiences impacted the way you coach or the way you show up? Who wants to take that first? I can. Okay.
2: Yeah. I So my dad was a college football coach for 35 years. And I can remember being In the coach's office, and I always thought coaches were way cooler than like the players. Like I can just remember guys like my dad's defensive coordinator, Monty Rowe. He's, you know, big buff guy and he had this cool goatee and stuff like that. But the way they talked to young people in particular, young men, about getting stuff done and caring and holding them accountable and and things like that, have I've just had that drilled into my brain since the day I was born, essentially. And then getting into coaching and, and being around individuals that were from broke homes or your regular homes or no, I guess nobody's regular home, but you know, (laughs) upper class, middle class, lower class from the poorest neighborhoods to the richest neighborhoods and just watching people kind of all be human beings with very surface level differences, but ultimately just everybody's kind of the same. And then having a kid drastically changed the way I see the world just in the sense of like, I talked to him yesterday. He said, "How come you don't coach anymore?" I said, "Buddy, I coach every day." And he goes, "Well, I don't see you coaching football." And he goes, "Well, I coach you." I said, "What are the three things you know we don't do?" He goes, "Lie, well, cheat, and steal." I said, "Well, that's coaching, you know." And one of my favorite stories to talk about with him is, you know, I learned really fast when he was like three or four. If I grab him by the hand or by the wrist as I'm walking through a store. Uh, he'll pull and tug and whatever the case may be. And I want this candy and it just is a fight the whole time. But if I put my hand on the back of his head and just kind of let him think, he's in control of a situation and I just guide him, you know, he kind of goes in the right direction as long as I'm just there to be like the bumpers in the bowling alley. And so for coaching people, I try to give them as much autonomy as they as they want or as they need. And I just try to be there for when they need help and remind them that I'm there to help them regardless of how different or similar we are. I'm very lucky to have the way I grew up.
0: Gosh, I love that analogy. You've shared that with me before with just guiding your son's head, you know, rather than pulling him. It's like as soon as people feel, it's kind of like a dog on a chain too, right? As soon as they Mm -hmm. feel that tug, they pull back immediately. So, you know, giving guidance versus, you know, dictating. That's awesome. I love it. Tima, how about you?
1: I'll say one experience that has helped me is being, uh, you know, you said it earlier. I went to to school to be a teacher. I, I student taught. And I was thinking of this, how to answer this last night. And it really helped me be comfortable in that uncomfortable silence because, okay, yeah, like FRs, brand new six months, they will wait for you to answer. But try asking a classroom of 10th graders a world history question and see who answers first (laughs) because it doesn't happen. Like that (laughs) really helped me get comfortable with that uncomfortable silence. And I will sit there and I will tell all my reps, you know, like, what do you see? And they're waiting and they're waiting. I look at them like, y'all, I went to school to be a teacher. Okay. I can wait you out a little bit longer. And so, uh, so that helped too. Another thing I do a bartend out on the side. And one thing that helped me with my open-ended questions was I tried experimenting it one day on a Saturday during one of my doubles, where instead of asking, Hey, is anything else? I kept switching it to open-ended questions. What else can I get you? What else can I get you? And I started to see the bar tab go up about $5 to $10 a little bit more. <laughs> most of the time. So that, that helped as well to get me to train, not only talking to people in in, in conversational, but also just being student teaching, 10th graders, world history, asking them a question and then having to wait that, that comes naturally to me. That really helped me when it came to activity coaching and being comfortable in that uncomfortable silence. So if there's any, you know, Activity coaches out there listening and you're, you have that issue of where you want to speak first. Go teach and you'll get over that pretty quickly. <laughs>
0: I can I just yeah, I got such a good visual of all those 10th graders sitting there going, "Uh, oh, nobody's going to raise their hand." <laughs>
1: right, because they don't want to they don't want right. to be embarrassed in front of the yeah. peers, so right. they're like if we're wrong, like maybe he'll tell us yeah.
0: and I'm like, yeah. well,
1: like I'm good." Yeah. Yeah. So.
0: Uh, well, if I ever am playing <laughs> the waiting I game, it. I know who to have as my partner. I love it.
3: <laughs> there
0: you go. Awesome. Well, this has been an absolute pleasure. Sabina, any other questions on your end? Otherwise, we'll Nope. Red nope. Up. I think
3: this has been a blast. This the time went so fast. I can't believe it. We're done. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So thank you both for being here and taking time to do that. This was super fun. Yeah.
0: And keep oh, up the impact. You guys are doing mm-hmm. a great job in the coaching that you're doing. We just appreciate your time and being here today. And we look forward to having our listeners join us next time. Have a great one, everyone.
1: Thank you, Heather. Thank you, Sabia. Hoffman, you good bet. to see you, buddy. See you, bud.
0: Thanks for joining us today for Activity Coaching Conversations with Heather
3: and Sabina. If you found value in this conversation, please like, share, and leave a review in your favorite podcast app.
0: And to learn more about our activity coaching clinics and how to hone your skills, visit heatherpriceconsulting.com. Link is in the show notes. Thanks again Again
3: for listening. listening. Keep Keep learning learning and growing. growing.